From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. That's my name. That's my show. A frequent contributor to this show has not been on this show lately. And that's because he filed a letter of complaint with the FCC saying that he was sick of me and wanted a break. So we welcome the host of the Morrow Morning Show. What? You weren't supposed to find out about that. I know, but I did. Because I have to go to the person to allow for a response. Yes, you wish you knew indeed. The host of the Morrow Morning Show on ESPN Radio 98.9 in Charleston, South Carolina. He is, and, and the co-host of the Sunday Sprint here on Teeing It Up Radio, which I just invented, um, <laughs> on the Teeing It Up Podcast Network. Uh, it is Luke Morrow. Welcome back. It's good to be back. Thank you. Uh, what has changed since you were last on the show? You were hosting a four-hour show for a while, and now you're back to a two-hour show. Yes, which is nice. I honestly can't recall the last time I've been on other than, you know, during the football season on Sunday. So I don't know. Maybe a lot has changed since the last time. But uh, I will. All right. Let, let's go through this. I'm going to bring this up right now, and we're going to figure this out together live on air. This is... Uh, classic teeing it up we have not prepared anything for this segment right luke that's right that's right we have not prepared anything Um, that's how we do it and we're going to figure out when the last time you were on the show that was not uh that was not for the sunday sprint yeah i feel like it's, it's been a while oh my god it is it is uh, uh, wow okay then we, we need to do some research here August 31st wow yeah chew over that one actually just what? before they started the uh, Citadel football season yes we did a Citadel preview segment and it was paired with an appearance from the rapper Praise so I was trying to get traffic. A long time ago. Yes, a long time ago. All right. Since that happened, the Citadel football season happened, which, which we talked about on, T- on on the Sunday Sprint, so we're going to avoid that. Since that happened, um, you've probably bought new clothes at some point. So tell the, the listeners. I have no idea what the answer to this is. You had to have bought something. Did, did you need more socks? Did you need more you know, shoes, handkerchiefs? Ties, like what have you bought in your wardrobe since August 31st? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I've bought anything. Now, obviously, since August 31st, I've received things, uh, whether it be for Christmas or whatever else along the way. Uh, So I think I was gifted some new shoes, some new shirts along the way. At Christmas, I always get socks and boxers, so that's good. Uh, I don't know if I've, I don't know the last time I've actually bought new apparel, new new clothes for myself. I did just buy a new vinyl record today, though. That's what I spent my money on. Okay, we have to talk about this. Um, because this is, for those who fo- follow, I almost said frollo. Do you frollo anyone on Twitter, Luke? Not yet. I'm considering it. Okay, but you follow great people, including yours truly, I believe. Yes. Uh, yes, you do follow. We follow each other, so says Twitter. Um, yes that you have shown off to your listeners at all, and the voice of the Citadel listeners, um, your vinyl record collection and your vinyl record player. Why did you feel the need to show stuff in your 
personal life. You are a very private person by trade. Yes, I am. That's the one thing that I guess I'll show off. It's the one thing I'll brag about, I suppose. My vinyl collection is up over 600 now. I think this is uh, 13 that I just got today. Astral Weeks by Van Morrison. Great vinyl, great album. Just bought that today, new. Most of them are, are, are not new at this point. Um, so, yeah, it's the one thing that I guess I am willing to brag about or showcase because I take great pride in that stuff. It's awesome. Vinyls are great. I'm glad they're coming back. I, I, you know, I have uh, a lot of friends that are really into music, and uh, I, I try to encourage everyone to get back into it. If you're a music fan, get back into a vinyl collection. Uh, go get a turntable and listen to music the way it's supposed to be. I love vinyl. So, yeah, that's the one thing I guess I try to brag about or show off uh, whenever I can. Um. I, I don't deal with financials. Financials is a personal matter. It's not my business. But just give the folks out there a sense of what a vinyl record even costs these days, especially older vinyl records that you're trying to find in hard to, you know, uh, reach stores or stores which you have to travel to. What are your expenses like in, in doing this collection? I don't care about how much you've paid. That's not my business. But how much do these kind of old vinyl records not the new stuff on vinyl but the old vinyl records cost yeah that's the crazy thing is that back in the day and i get there's inflation and everything but i mean you get these albums for a few bucks back then and now the one i just bought today was uh 26 bucks and it's an album from the 60s right the 60s obviously it wasn't going to cost you 26 bucks uh new vinyls that come out are sometimes cheaper than the old stuff because you know, the old stuff is retro and maybe harder to get in certain instances, and they're classics, whether it be some sort of Led Zeppelin or Rolling Stones along those lines. So, uh, yeah, that's the one downside is that it certainly has gotten pricey. I haven't done the math for inflation. I know, you know, back in the 80s, you could get an album for 7 bucks. Now it's 27 bucks. so a little bit different, a um, little bit uh, more expensive for sure. But then if you go to a record store, you can find uh, used vinyls, which are much cheaper. Uh, I was at the record store today, and I was looking through the bins with $3 used vinyls. So you can get some cheap ones. I don't know how good those quality are. You know, they may be beat up and scratched, but you can find uh, some cheap vinyls out there. If you want to get a brand new vinyl, even if it's an old record, it's going to run you close to 30 bucks, though. Are you somebody who is doing this because you like the music, because you want a collection, because you want to give this to your kids, you want to spin this off? Like, like what is, you know, I'm passionate about golf. Golf is, 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 is what I, I put my disposable income to. Why vinyl records for you? Where did this come from? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, it started with my father's collection, and that's, you know, I, I took it over. I don't want to say inherited, because a lot of times that's, Sounds like the person passed away. My father is still alive. <laughs> he handed down the vinyl collection to me. It's like a business. He, he just, you know, handed it off to the brand new owners. That's all. Right, right, exactly. So that's what it was. It was a business transaction. Yes. He hands off the, the family business. Uh, so anyways, um, yeah, you know, but I always, growing up, always had a real passion for music. I talk a lot of, about it a lot on my radio show, just uh, organically. Uh, and something about vinyls, I've always attracted me. I don't know if it was because my father had that collection growing up, but I'll spend, you know, just now I spent uh, probably an hour in the record store. I only bought one album, but I love just looking through them, feeling it in my hands. It's really weird, uh, but that's my passion, I guess. I just like the whole idea of music on an album in a record as opposed to like a CD or a cassette or, you know, an audio file now. I like 
having, you know, holding it, having the actual piece of vinyl and the record and everything that goes into it, the record covers and the inner sleeve and all that stuff. For some reason, that stuff is always fascinating to me. I, I, love, uh, I love the whole idea of it. One of the things you put up there uh, was was born, or, or, or that you, you assured me there was Born to Run. Um, I'm not sure if you know this, but the first printings of Born to Run had John Landau's name misspelled on it. Oh, wow. Yeah, Bruce's longtime manager and, and the person who, who came in to produce uh, Born to Run and really helped save them along with um, uh, uh, Jimmy Iovine. Um, yeah, it was, it was spelled J-O-H-N. And I had to put like a tape thing over it that said J O N Landau. <laughs> Whoops. Yep, the things you learn. We're talking to Luke Morrow. He's the host of the Morrow Mornings Radio Show, um, which is on ESPN Radio 98.9 FM, um, ESPN Radio 94.7 FM, 9.10 AM. Um, and I'm actually calling it by the wrong name, according to the uh, headline. It's apparently Mornings with Morrow. Uh, no, that's just kind of like the catch, catch rate, the tagline, I guess. It's the Morrow Morning Show. Okay, because your bio says what you want it to say. Uh, he is also the voice of the Citadel, um, which uh, is, is, is a very prestigious place. Um, and as you get ready for your conference baseball tournament... Are you a fan of conference tournaments in general? There are some people that, that think that the expansion of like the NCAA tournament has devalued conference tournaments. Some with just like all regular season champions and then at-larges. And that you can have that UConn run of, of what, 10 years ago, 11 years ago when Kemba Walker and company just ran through the Big East and had this huge ride of momentum and I think won the national championship, won it all that year. Um, yep. What, what what is your take now that you've broadcast many conference tournaments over the years? You've broadcasted minor league baseball, which has that funky half year system. Uh, what's your take on 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 the college conference tournament system? It's a good question. I, I I'm really on the fence. I kind of talk out of both sides of my mouth on the topic because I love the conference tournament and what they bring to the table. Uh, conference tournament week for me is almost as good as March Madness itself because um, you have uh, more games, uh, more teams that are fighting for just a chance to get into the tournament. Uh, there's just something about it. I just love it. Games on all week long, starting you know at noon. Uh, growing up, going to the Big East tournament, so I always love the conference tournament. But I get the idea, or I get why a lot of people are against the idea of an automatic bid. Uh, you may have somebody in one of those mid-major conferences that dominates the whole season, and they lose in the championship, and you have a sub-500 team going to the championship, or the uh, NCAA tournament, rather. And it's clearly unfair. They didn't have as good of a year. They're not as deserving just because they got hot one week. They get to punch their ticket. And I've always been a small school guy, so when I look at this past NCAA tournament, teams like uh, Lipscomb, who dominated the A-Sun but didn't win the conference tournament and didn't get to go, I thought they should have been in anyways. But your only opportunity as a smaller school is to win your conference tournament. And uh, so, really, for a team like, say, the Citadel, chances are for the Citadel, they're not going to win the regular season conference tournament. And so, the downside of these conference tournaments is that uh, it, it almost makes the season really just a, a, almost like a five-game schedule, where regardless of what happens for the Citadel in the regular season, hey, you just go to the conference tournament, if you get hot over a week and win four games in a row, you're going to punch your ticket. That's probably your only way in either way. So, I see the, the pros and the cons. Uh, I, I'm a fan of the conference tournaments. I don't want to see them go anywhere. 
Uh, I know they're adding more and more conference championships, even in college football, which people are against because same idea kind of minimizes the success of the regular season. Sixty-one percent um, of I all love, FBS teams. Uh, 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 sorry to interrupt. Sixty-one percent of all FBS teams now, with the new Boston Bowl that's being created, will make it to a bowl game. Yeah, that's a whole other issue, and that's a problem in, in football. But it is what it is. So, uh, long story short, I like the conference tournament. There are some negatives to it. Uh, there are some unfortunate situations, but overall, I'm a big fan of the conference tournament week. Uh, I love that time of year. We're talking to Luke Morrow uh, here on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. All right, since you depart, uh, since you, uh, sorry, you, you you never departed Teeing It Up. We just did a show every week, and we integrated some parts of this in. Um, your Red Sox won won the World Series. We've talked about that. What we have not talked about is the fact that you did not address your bullpen in the offseason. And I, I had a, a, a friend, Nick Fouché, on the show uh, to preview the Red Sox. And he, I asked him straight up when he talked about their biggest weakness being the bullpen. And I interrupted him. I said, Nick, everybody pinpointed last year that, that this was your weakness. Why did you do nothing with your bullpen? And he goes, I don't know. And that seems to be the common response from all Red Sox fans I talked to. Um, as a Red Sox fan, as to watch him every night and hope that you hold on and win these games, what's going through your head? Yeah, well, you know, honestly, right now, I think the bigger concern at this point, uh, just performance base, is almost the starting rotation. Um, but the bullpen is a question mark. They don't want to give Craig Kimbrell what he was asking for, and I don't blame them, especially after the year he had last year. Uh, he was a heart attack closer in that postseason. Every time he came out there, I mean, it got dicey. He's looking for a six-year contract as a reliever already in his 30s. Uh, so I'm glad they didn't, you know, give in to him. But that's always been the knock on Dave Dombrowski, that he's been unable to build bullpens wherever he has gone, whether it be with the Marlins, uh, even the Expos before that, the Tigers, and now the Red Sox. That, that's the one thing he can't seem to figure out. The Vikings can't seem to figure out an offensive line under Rick Spielman, and the Red Sox can't seem to figure out a bullpen under Dave Dombrowski wherever he's gone. So that's been the knock for Boston. But in this whole analytical age nowadays, uh, I see it with the team that we focus the most on here with the Atlanta Braves, who same idea. Their bullpen was one of the worst in the league last year. They did nothing to address it this offseason. It's one of the worst in the league this year. They didn't go and they didn't get a closer. But the thought for a lot of people nowadays with these analytics is that you don't need to spend the money to go get a big name in the bullpen. You just kind of piece things together with a lefty specialist, with a righty, you mix and match. It's all about situations. Instead of having a closer pitch in the ninth inning, the Red Sox are in a situation where they use their, uh, who they believe is their best pitcher, Matt Barnes, whenever you need to get the biggest outs, which may be in the seventh inning. He may pitch in the eighth inning. Bases may be loaded in a one-run game in the sixth inning. He'll come in then, whenever it is. Uh, because a lot of teams are, are beholden to the save statistic, which is just kind of a made-up stat, the save. It's this arbitrary number of a three-run lead in the ninth inning or tying run on deck, or a three-inning save, uh, whereas, say, Mariano Rivera may have been better served at times pitching in, say, the seventh inning when you have the bases loaded and the best hitter coming to the plate in a one-run game instead of saving him for a three-run lead in the ninth. So some teams are going that way, like the Braves, like the Red Sox, the two teams that nowadays are, are, are closest to me, where they don't have a specific closer, per se, and you kind of mix and match just based on matchups and you go cheaper in the bullpen instead of spending big money on a Craig Kimbrell who has to be out there in the ninth inning every night regardless of whether it's a lefty batter or a righty batter or someone who hits him well. Uh, is Mariano Rivera a Hall of Famer in your mind? Oh, of course. Absolutely. Okay, good. Should, yeah, first ballot, no doubt, no, no uh, issues there. I'm, 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 I'm just making sure, just making sure. 
And uh, to your point, um, Matt Barnes has two saves and four holds. <laughs> so, right. you know, to, to, to your point. Now, to your previous point about the starting pitching, Rick Porcello is 2-3 and three with an ERA of 5.5. Eduardo Rodriguez is 2-2 two and two with an ERA of 6. David Price is 1-2 and two with an ERA of 3-6. Of Chris Sale is 0-5 with an ERA of 6-3. And Nathan Avaldi is nothing, nothing, um, and has an ERA of 6. And Hector Velasquez is 0-2 with an ERA of 4. That about sums it up. What? Absolutely. Yeah. So what's the issue here? Especially sale. Uh, sale has to be your stop. Sale has to be the equivalent of, of, of what CC Sabathia is for the Yankees, which is that veteran presence, the stop gap. If you're not playing well, you know you're going to get a quality start out of CC every single time out. And Sale's given up 20, uh, 30, sorry, 32 hits in 30 innings pitch and 21 earned runs, and he's walked 10 people. That's not Chris Sale numbers. No, it's not. And uh, the Red Sox are 0-6 as a team in his starts, let alone his record. Um, and I just saw something today that Max Scherzer and Sale combined. Their teams are like 1-13 in their starts this year for whatever Ooh. reason. But, um, you know, for Sale specifically, uh, he's pitched better the last about three times out, but he really hasn't been the same since that, I think it was a shoulder issue last year around the All-Star break, uh, around the trade deadline that kept him out until the middle of September. His velocity's been down. Uh, he hasn't been as crisp. But I'll say in general for the Red Sox, and I did this this segment on my show a couple of weeks back um, because I brought it up to some friends of mine, and they all laugh at me, and they still mock me now to this day. They constantly refer to it. I call it the World Series hangover because pitchers have to spend a, a whole other month pitching. Uh, Rick Porcello in the postseason last year, I think, made five extra starts. And that's a long time compared to what these guys are used to. And then after pitching an extra month and throwing whatever it is, 30 extra innings, now you have a, a month less in recovery time on top of it. So you're working more and you're recovering less and you have to get ready for opening day the next year. And a lot of times these teams will uh, slow up their pitching staffs in spring training. So they'll be behind the schedule for opening day. They're not in their typical opening day form as years past. They're still trying to play catch-up. And if you look at the numbers for the Red Sox, the first couple weeks of the season, the pitching staff, the uh, starters' ERA was almost 9. Now the last couple weeks it's down below 4. So they are pitching a little bit better. um, But all the teams seem to go through it. 14 of the last 17 World Series champions, their earn run average increased the next year. And I think it's 14 of 17, um, something like either, uh, I forget what it was, missed the playoffs, or, or I forget the numbers that I did on the show. But they uh, got off to, they had a better record in the second half of the season than the first half, I think is what it was. So we see this a lot, where World Series champs, I don't know if it's the uh, overworking the pitching staff and less recovery time, but the following year the pitching is never quite as good statistically, and the teams usually get off to slower starts, like the Dodgers last year who didn't win the World Series the year prior but got there, uh, or the Cubs two years ago get off to slow starts and then hit their stride second half of the season when guys are finally finding their midseason form while playing catch-up. Hopefully that's the case for the Red Sox this year. We'll see. Look, I believe this is a case in basketball. LeBron needed this. Yes. Le- LeBron needed this. He needed to be, a, I, I believe, he needed this team to be bad this year so that he could um, take, a, take, take time off and, and finally recoup his body. He's been playing it every June. He got worn down. He wasn't the same player defensively this year. And I think that's one of the most re- remarkable parts about um, the Warriors 
and why sometimes these injuries the Warriors face during the season are a good thing because it actually gives you rest and it gives you time off because they just keep playing into June, keep playing into June, keep playing into June. Yeah, and we've seen NBA teams now with this whole resting thing. You know, the Milwaukee Bucks were the number one seed in the in the East this year, but they played their guys more than anybody. The Raptors have been the number one seed five of the last six years, and then they realize that's not getting us anywhere. We tire out. We can't win in the playoffs. So this year, not only do they acquire Kawhi Leonard, he didn't play in almost a third of their games this year. They settled for being the two seed, and they hope that they're better suited for the for the postseason. So in the NBA, it's become a common thing where let's rest up and get ready for the playoffs because it's a long year. LeBron has played uh, like six more years worth of playoffs, something ridiculous, like that three years of playoff games, uh, something crazy. Uh, he's already played 15 years in the league to begin with, so now, or 16 years at this point, so now it's about 19 seasons worth on his body already. It takes a toll. So whether it's pitchers in baseball, the basketball players, uh, you never think of the playoff games, but you're playing longer and you have a shorter amount of time to rest for the next season. Obviously, it's going to catch up to you and make it tougher than the guys who never make the playoffs. They're sitting at home. They get an extra month off. They're playing 30 less games a year. Uh, after a while, after 16 years for LeBron, it may eventually catch up to him. It's crazy. It's crazy. We're talking to Luke Morrow here on, on Teeing It Up. Um, the Patriots won, won the Super Bowl. We talked about that. What we have not talked about is free agency for either of our teams. So um, I'll start. Um, for me, the, the thing that I'm really happy about with the Jets is that they made uh, some smart, pragmatic moves. Um, they made, you know, look, if Le'Veon Bell wants to come here, that's great. Um, I'm concerned about how he'll be. Excuse me. I'm concerned about how he'll be. Um, but Elijah McGuire showed that he is a force and that he can be somebody good. Robbie Anderson now apparently can be the deep threat that, that he's already or was supposed to be. And they signed a veteran in Josh Bellamy. And they signed Jamison Crowder for the slot. Quincy and Nunwa hopefully will have a healthy year for once. Um, and, you know, they have... Uh, Chris Herndon is one of the tight ends. Jordan Leggett, Eric Tomlinson, who they drafted. They're going to have to figure out the tight end spot. I would not be surprised if the Jets pick up a scrap heap tight end. And then on the offensive line, they sign Kielechi Osemele, uh, who I can't pronounce his name uh, correctly. But look, they made some minor upgrades on the offensive line, and you hope that Sam Darnold is, is one year advanced in this process. Defensively, um, they didn't do a lot of, of um, really flashy moves. They have not re-signed Morris Claiborne yet. So right now it's Daryl Roberts at the corner along with Jermaine Johnson, Adams and May back there. And then you look up front, and they've got a potpourri of people who they can put up front between Henry Anderson and Steve McClendon and Leonard Williams and Jordan Jenkins, C.J. Mosley, who is their big signing, um, and now Quinnen Williams. To me, this is a really interesting bunch. And, and they signed Chandler Canizaro as their kicker again. I just think this is a really interesting um, Jets roster that I think can do a 9-7, 10-6 if they're lucky type deal. A lot of it depends on the development of Sam Darnold. But I liked what the Jets have done in free agency and draft. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I, I like it as well. I like this team on paper a lot. 
Uh, I think I've always been a fan of Sam Darnold. I think he could hopefully take the next step here in year number two. And I think Adam Gase will be good for him. I don't know about Adam Gase as a head coach or maybe even a leader, but in terms of running offense, I mean, he was over 500 with Ryan Tannehill. He took the Dolphins to the playoffs with Tannehill. Uh, They beat the Patriots a couple times in his three years there. Uh, I think Darnold could certainly be much better than Ryan Tannehill. So uh, I think Adam Gase could be good for that offense with those playmakers that they have now in Darnold and and guys like Bell in the backfield. So I liked what the Jets did this offseason as well. Uh, The only thing holding me back in saying that, you know, picking the the Jets, the trendy playoff team, is the fact that they are the Jets. It seems like. Uh, as you know better than anyone, they seem to uh, let down their fan base too often. That's the only thing that holds you back. On paper, I think they have a really good team. I think they could be uh, very competitive in the AFC East, uh, the AFC this year. Uh, I like what the Jets have done. If they're competitive in the AFC East, that means that Tom Brady retired, demanded a trader, got hurt. <laughs> Unfortunately. Unfortunately. All right, Mr. Kirk Cousins Vikings, where are you at with this team? And by the way, can uh, Adam Thielen just take some games off against the Jets? I mean, seriously. I had a rough start to the year, and then, then they play the Jets, and I'm in that building. He's making circus cash after circus cash. The dude is just, he got off to a slow start, and then he exploded against the Jets. Come on, Adam Thielen. Go back to the hiding place. <laughs> hey, how about Anthony Barr? Originally uh, going to become a Jet, and then burning them to go back to Minnesota. I like that. That was great. That, uh, that, was, that, that was annoying. Can, can your players come to us and say, no, in all seriousness, look at what Josh McDaniels did, right? And and there's just sometimes the place where you are, there's family stuff. And I don't blame people who renege on verbal offers. Um, I, re- I get upset with people who renege on handshake offers. I think that's disrespectful. But verbal offers to me um, is, is kind of in that gray area. Of, I'm not quite sure what you're up to. Yeah, and I was shocked that Barr actually did that. I thought he was headed out of town. He always seemed to be talking about uh, money, uh, and he stayed for less money in Minnesota. Happy to have him. But for the Vikings, obviously the, the, the key to their season this season is Kirk Cousins, and if he can play better than he did last year, because last year was pretty poor. Now, they got rid of John Filippo, who is the worst offensive coordinator I have, made, have ever seen. Uh, they bring in Gary Kubiak, and I think that offense could fit um, Kirk Cousins better because it's similar to what he was running in Washington with the, with Shanahan with both Shanahan's at one point. Uh, the draft they added uh, through the draft alone, I think it was seven offensive players, a couple offensive linemen. They signed another offensive lineman. They got another running back, another receiver for Cousins. They're going all in on this offense. They're trying to do everything they can to help Kirk Cousins. They drafted a tight end who reminds them of Jordan Reed, who was Cousins' favorite target in Washington. So no more excuses for Kirk Cousins. Uh, the defense is still the same defense. They're returning. Uh, ten starters from when they won the division two years ago, I believe, still. Uh, they've been a top-five defense, like four straight years under Zimmer. I'm not concerned about the defense, even in the current state of the NFL. Uh, it really just comes down to Cousins. They have the receivers, they have the running back, they have the tight ends. The offensive line is the other question mark. And they've worked hard, finally. They're trying to address the offensive line by drafting a couple of guys in the first four rounds, signing a couple others. Uh, they're going to try to clean it up. Hopefully the offensive line is better this year. They have a couple of draft picks from a year ago who played at the end of this past season. They need to clean up the offensive line because Kirk Cousins, as we know, isn't very mobile. But at the end of the day, Cousins has all the weapons around him. The fact that they only won eight games last year was ridiculous. The fact that they scored fewer than ten points in four of their games is absolutely absurd with those weapons. Uh, so Kirk Cousins needs to play better. I think he will because of the offensive system will be better. Hopefully the offensive line as well. 
but uh, I'm, I'm excited for this Vikings team. On paper, I still think they have one of the most talented rosters in the league because they haven't lost anybody since they won two out of three divisions just a couple years ago. You know, it's interesting um, um, if you look at the Vikings, right? And, and this is, especially offensively, a lot of the same roster. And it comes down to systems, right? And it comes down to can you get guys to perform first year in a system? Do you trust Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, Stephen, uh, sorry, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, and Kyle Rudolph in a new system? Because sometimes for some quarterbacks, they get that first year system like that. And it's simple as pie. But do you believe that it's something that your guys and what you've seen from observing them can accomplish? Yeah, I do for a couple of different reasons. For one, uh, Kirk Cousins has some sort of familiarity with the system, um, as mentioned, because of the similarities between Kubiak and what he was playing in Washington. So that helps. And I think it's the most important that the quarterback gets it first, as opposed to the receivers or the running back. And then number two is the fact that last year, I, 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 last year I almost throw out of the out the window because John DiFilippo's system was really having no system. Uh, the rumors or the reports were the fact that he, you know, going into last year, he was such a hot name. Everybody believed he'd be a head coach uh, heading into this season. It'd be one and done in Minnesota, and he would use the Vikings as a stepping stone to his first head coaching job. And so uh, those who know more than me and who break down film, I've heard analysts say, multiple, say that DiFilippo, his play calling was puzzling, and it almost looked like he was doing certain things to try to show off what he could do as a play caller to try to build up his resume and not do what is best for the team, not put them in the best situations, or just trying to show off with how smart of an offensive mind he is, doing weird things at weird times. Uh, so my point being, what they were doing last year offensively, uh, it was head-scratching at times, even just for me sitting on my couch at home wondering what is going on. Uh, I think just by having a change that they'll be better off, and I think Kirk Cousins specifically could pick up this offense a little bit easier because it's something that's supposed to be similar to what he was doing for the first, whatever it was, four years in Washington for his career, however long he was there. So I think there will be already just an automatic improvement just from the just for the sake of change going to uh, Kubiak's offense now from whatever they were trying to do a year ago. All right. Um, you've probably talked incessantly about the NFL draft. I'm, I'm not going to make you um, talk about it and, and just repeat the same points because that will just drive you nuts. Um <laughs> But where are you at in terms of what the Giants did? Because that's been obviously the, the, the huge topic up here. And, and did they disrespect Eli and Daniel Jones too high? And could they have gotten better defensive players? And is, um, are, is Dave Gettleman lost? Or are, are, are the Giants as a team lost? Just briefly, because I, I, I know you don't want to go into 10,000 details here. Where is your head at when it comes to uh, what the Giants did? Yeah, I mean, there's so much that you can touch on. Uh, I've only been on the air down here in South Carolina, as you know, for at this point, I think, eight months now. Um, but I've been railing on Eli for years. I mean, he's been done yeah. the last couple of years. Uh, and I don't get the idea of holding on to him. You know, I get the two Super Bowls, but you can't live life in the rearview mirror, especially in the sports world. Uh, they needed to draft a quarterback. They needed to draft a quarterback last year. I have no problem with them taking a quarterback at number six. I think the whole pick is overblown because... If Daniel Jones works out and he's the franchise quarterback, it doesn't matter if they got him at 6 or 17. And if he doesn't work out, to me, it doesn't matter either because he wouldn't have worked out at all whether he drafted him at 17. I don't get this whole reaching for a quarterback. Quarterback's the most important position. If you think he's your guy, get him whenever he's available. Don't take any chances. Uh, whether he works out or not is another situation. Um, 
but uh, I agree with getting the quarterback. I don't. I'm maybe one of the few who doesn't have a problem with drafting Daniel Jones six overall. We did a segment on our show where, on paper, he may have the the best pedigree for an NFL quarterback. Um, real quick, because Bill Parcells had a theory to judge his quarterbacks, where he wanted X number of starts, uh, X number of score in the QBR, X number of completion percentage. Daniel Jones was the only quarterback in this draft that checked all three boxes. So according to Parcells' theory, he's the the most ready for the NFL of all these quarterbacks. So everyone's hating on Daniel Jones. I think he could be someone that could actually do uh, fairly well in the NFL. I just hope the Giants give him a chance uh, sooner rather than later. This whole idea that Eli could last another three years is ludicrous. Uh, Daniel Jones should be the starting quarterback within the next year, and we'll see what he has, what he doesn't have. But they obviously needed a quarterback. I have no problem with the pick. It came a year too late. Hopefully for the sake of the Giants, it works out. And Gettleman needs to stop putting his foot in his mouth every time he talks. Be confident. Sell the pick. It seems like every time he opens his mouth, he paints himself in a, in a deeper corner there in New York. Uh, but uh, I'm in the minority where I, I kind of like the pick for the Giants, and hopefully Daniel Jones works out. All right. Uh, we're talking to Luke Morrow here. Um, what else do you want to talk about? Because I don't want you to just yeah, go through the... Wish. What? It's your show. Whatever you wish. <laughs> I'll be on Luke's show, by the way, uh, PGA Championship Week, the Wednesday, which is the 15th, and the Monday uh, after it to preview and review the PGA Championship at Beth Page Black coming up uh, here in then uh, two weeks. Uh, two weeks from today is the start. Today is May 3rd, and uh, this is the wrong calendar, which is why the dates are not making sense to me. There we go, May 3rd, uh, which is the date for... Um, the competition between golfers at Bethpage Black. Here's a question for you, Luke. Most impressive team in the NBA playoffs so far? Ooh, good question. Um, most impressive team in the NBA playoffs? I mean, the Warriors are obvious, uh, an obvious answer, but they haven't been as impressive as you would expect. For me, I, I would probably say the Boston Celtics now, uh, I know they just got blown out the other night, but the Celtics tore through the Pacers, and the Pacers aren't the same team without uh, Victor Aladipo, uh, and that wasn't a big surprise. But the way they played, then they blew out Milwaukee game one, and that's all they needed to achieve. You just have to split on the road. Now you overtake home court advantage. So I don't put much stock into game two. Uh, oftentimes you'll see where a team blows out their opponent one night, they'll get blown out the next night. It's like in baseball where you score 12 runs and then you get shut out the next night. Uh, there's just a letdown. Um, so I, I don't put a lot of stock in game two. I think moving forward, it's more likely that the Bucks will have a letdown like they did in the first game than Kyrie Irving will have an off night like he did in game two. So the Celtics have been the team since opening day of the season. I've said on my show they're the best team in the East. They're going to win the East even when they went into the playoffs as a four seed. I still felt confident taking the Celtics to go to the championship. I think they have the best roster in the East. Kyrie Irving is the best go-to player for a playoff game in the East. I'd rather have him at the end of the game than Giannis. Uh, so the Celtics, to me, I mean, they're 5-1 and one right now in the playoffs. They blew out Milwaukee game one at home. Uh, I put an asterisk next to game two. That's, uh, that was, you know, throw that out the window. That wasn't um, a true representation of the Boston Celtics team. So uh, I would probably say Boston. Houston's been a disappointment. Uh, the Warriors have kind of been taking it easy at times. Um, the Bucks have looked good other than game one against the Celtics. But overall, uh, I would think I would say Boston. Um, all right, and how much are the Carolina Hurricanes in this run that they're on uh, playing in Charleston? Oh, man. 
The only times I've mentioned the Carolina Hurricanes is to uh, hate on them for stealing the Hartford Whalers. Uh, so I, don't, I haven't talked to Hurricanes at all. I don't know how big it is around here. I know it's not even that big in North Carolina. They play in Raleigh, and uh, I've heard from somebody who hosts a show in Charlotte who says, other than this week or the last two weeks now where they're relevant, during the regular season, no one even cares in Charlotte, and they're an hour and a half away. So I don't know how many people in Charleston care about the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, I certainly don't. I hope the Islanders somehow come back and knock them out because um, – I hate that they have more success than the Whalers ever had, and I will never root for the Hurricanes or really cover them much unless I'm complaining about them on my show. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I, I t- you've gotten meaner since you got a daily radio <laughs> show. <laughs> you've gotten meaner. <laughs> the Hurricanes are the one team. They stole our Whalers. Forget them. I can never pull for them or... All right, um, we're gonna have a serious discussion about the next topic off air, but but let's have a fun one on air. Uh, we are trying, folks, to get my radio spot on on Luke's show sponsored. Who is the ideal sponsor for my radio spot? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, what like company out there in the world is the perfect sponsor for me? Well. You know, because of what we're talking about, obviously golf would be the obvious answer. Any sort of golf course or golf apparel, anything like that. Um, I'm trying to think of something, though, that would perfectly summarize you as a person and what you bring to the show. What sort of company or business would be the best to sponsor the segment to best represent you as a guest? And uh, I'd have to think about what would be the perfect company to summarize you as a guest. But obviously, you know, golf, since we're talking golf, it would be a, something golf-related. See, for me, it would be my cable company. Because they provide my cable and internet, which allows me to watch golf, read about golf, talk about golf, and learn about golf. That's true. Which is the information base for what I say on your show. Right. Fair. That's solid. But I feel like, you know... Um, you know, uh, the Jeremy Schilling Golf Report presented by um, presented by Optimum by Altice USA just 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 won't play well either up here or down there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if they're even around here. I know. Uh, no, they're not. AT and T Uverse. Okay, well let's see. We got AT and T Uverse around here. Let's see if they can sponsor. It. Yeah, but they don't provide anything for me. They don't provide wireless. I'm not a Directv subscriber. I'm not an AT and T Uverse subscriber. Yeah, but if we're talking in South Carolina, why is like a New York company going to want to uh, advertise? And stuff Luke, 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 this is the fun here. segment, not not the serious segment. No, sorry, not the serious conversation. So you can dream big. I mean, I could be sponsored. could be anything in the world. I could be sponsored by T- by Tiger's company, TGR Ventures. Right. Think well, about that. that. that could, but that could be um, like a conflict of interest, though. <laughs> in what sense? Well, if you're being sponsored by one, you know, by Tiger or something involving Tiger, and you got to come on the show, I don't know. It just seems a little, seems a little funky. Like, that actually is a sports betting issue. In all seriousness, that's actually a, a, a sports betting issue. Well, there you go. I just did a thing on the show yesterday about how we should legalize sports gambling here in South Carolina, so we can't have any issues there. How far along is is the push for it? 
not far at all. Uh, gambling uh, analysts predict that South Carolina will be one of the final 10 states to add it if we ever get to that point. So it's not happening anytime soon. Is that for economic reasons? Is that for political? Like, like does does the public not support it? Does it need a ballot initiative? Is, is it the way that your state's legislative structure is... is 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 um is structured like like what's the backstory on that i honestly have no idea um from living here since last summer there seems to be zero push for it though mm. that i can tell uh you Which know but we were talking about it because tennessee just made it legal online only and i think that's the best way to go and, and to me there's really not many negatives why you shouldn't do it so i wish you know south carolina and all states would add something where um, even if it's just online only, that's probably the best way to go. Well, we had it here in South Carolina. Well, it's interesting about this is everybody looks to the hall that New Jersey has brought in, but a lot of the Jersey hall is mobile or it was, you know, slash online. Obviously, if it's online, you can do it via your mobile app. You know, it wants you enable location services. Um, And I mean, it's, I mean, there's people who drive over the border from New York who live, you know, 10, 15 minutes from the border and drive to the northernmost service area on the Garden State Parkway so that their their app will work, make their bets, and drive home. <laughs> hey, I believe it. I, I've heard of people who have friends or know people who live in uh, Jersey who do it for them if they can't cross the border or get over there. So, yeah, uh, and and that's that's yeah. where this huge haul has come from. And everybody sees the headlines, but it's not the casinos. It's not AC. It's not Monmouth Park. It's not the Meadowlands. It's... You know, you and me on our phones placing a twenty-dollar bet on whatever. So right. it is yeah. interesting, and I'll be fascinated to see if South Carolina can come up, can come around on that. Because for a lot of states, there's issues involving casinos, there's issues involving uh, gambling heists or past, um, you know, um, not security issues, but but past issues politically. Some, it needs a ballot initiative, and, and there's not public yeah. support for it. Some states, the makeup of the legislature is very um, is such that they can't figure out what they want to use the money for. Um, a lot of Democratic-run states, and not to get political, but if you look at the states that have approved it, a lot of them have Democratic legislatures. Um, that's not, I believe, by coincidence, um, I, I think that there is a push in, in some more liberal states to do this, but you also have to look at the states that were impacted by SALT, uh, which is the a place to deduct your state and local taxes from your uh, tax return, from your individual tax return. A lot of those states have been first as trying to find other revenue streams as they fear people moving out of state because they can't deduct their state and local taxes and suddenly the taxes they owe to the government have gone up. So there's there's a lot of political things happening here and there's a lot of um, multi-tiered, multi-faceted levels to why sports gambling has been pushed through immediately in some places and not in others. And, and to your point, mobile's one of them. For some, it's political. For some, it's public support and, 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 and needing a ballot initiative. Um, and Congress ain't doing anything because Congress is going to know how to pay for it. Because you're, you're you would need some kind of regulatory body to look over it, and that's going to come down to how you're going to pay for it. So, and as you and I both know, Congress doesn't move very fast. <laughs> on yeah, anything. We'll see what happens. 
So we shall see what happens. Luke, we've done 43 minutes, um, which is which I, I think makes up since not doing one of these since um, August 31st. Um, I will see you on the radio uh, in in 13 days. Um, I, I, I fully expect you to go into hiding until then. <laughs> yeah, just like uh, since the last time we've uh, done one of these together. Yeah, I'll disappear now, and I'll talk to you in 13 days. And just please don't file any more FCC complaints. All right, I'll try not to. Okay, thank you. Thanks to Luke Morrow. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you next time on Teeing It Up.